Revelation chapter 22 is our text tonight. We are opening the book of Revelation for the last time ever. No, I mean, it doesn't have to be the last time ever. You guys can read it on your own if you want. But this is our final sermon in the book of Revelation. We've had a series of sermons through this book. How many have we had? Who's been keeping track? I have. How many do you think we've had? 20. 20. No. 50. That would be a year. No. 10 more. 15 is so close. 16 is not correct. 14. Someone said 14. 14 sermons through the book of Revelation. We have flown through this book, and it's been, it's been an incredible journey. Incredible journey. We've looked at all the numbers, we've looked at all the symbols, and we've determined the exact timing of when Jesus Christ is going to come. Right? See, some of you don't know what to say right now, which means you haven't been paying attention. No, the answer to that question is no, because the purpose of the book of Revelation that we've been tracking all through this book is not to build charts and not to identify exact timing and not even like specific awareness of what every nuance of the book symbolizes. That's not the purpose of the book. The purpose of this book is that we would hear it, that we would read it, and that we would be changed. The book of Revelation, we'll see this explicitly tonight, is written to produce faithfulness and repentance in those who hear it. It's not about charts. It's not about timing. It's about change in the life of those who hear what is written and what is revealed by Jesus Christ in a vision to the Apostle John. Well, last week we saw what is the ultimate destiny of every believer. And that really is the conclusion to the primary storyline of the book of Revelation. We saw the eternal state, the the earth, the new heaven, and the new earth as it has been renewed and how it will be forever. And that we will reign in paradise with God. It is perfection. And it is the ultimate destiny of every true believer. We did not, however, finish the book of Revelation last week. We ended just short of the end. And what Kyle just read for us is the conclusion of the book. And that's exactly what we're going to identify this tonight. The conclusion to the book of Revelation. The conclusion to the book of Revelation. What is written in this text that we're going to close this book down with tonight is essentially the concluding thoughts that are being revealed to John. John is just giving some final notations and some final reminders for his readers as we enter into the final scene and close down the book. The conclusion of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 22, verses 6 through 21. We left off last week noting this, that the storyline of history is essentially bracketed by paradise. The storyline of history is paradise, curse, and paradise again. That when sin entered the earth, the earth went from a state of perfection in paradise and man walking with God to brokenness in that relationship and brokenness upon the earth. And we live in the earth in a cursed state right now. You feel the the effects of the curse right now as you feel pain, as you feel brokenness, as you suffer. Everything, even the best that this world has to offer is ultimately experienced in a broken context. 
But the day is coming, and this is the eternal destiny of every believer in which paradise will be restored. And we read in our passage last week that there is no more pain, and there is no more brokenness, and there is no more sin, and we will be forever with God. And it will be glorious. It will be glorious. We will reign together with him. John lays out that scene of paradise so clearly, and that's the end of the storyline of the book. But he gives a few closing comments, and it's what's going to drive our structure in this text tonight. As he closes up this book that we just heard read for us, what we see and what we're going to identify tonight are five responses to the book of Revelation. Five responses to the book of Revelation. If you're taking notes, this is going to guide us tonight. John essentially wraps up this book by pointing out five specific responses that are intended to come from this book. Five responses. As we walk through this text, we're going to see that these responses that the readers are supposed to have are just bullet pointed all the way through. And let me encourage you before we even dive into this scene that this is what you were supposed to have gotten all through the book. I hope that as you've been paying attention through this book, what you've drawn away is we've just kind of taken a a 10,000 foot overview of this book. We moved through it so quickly in just 14 sermons. I hope that these principles are what you've taken away. I want these to function tonight, not as messages that you're hearing for the first time, but as reminders, as reminders of what this book is all about and how we are supposed to respond to this revelation of what is yet coming. The first response, the first response is heed the words. Heed the words. Now, all of these responses are kind of woven all through this text. So we're going to see as we walk through this, it's not going to be necessarily just verses 6 and 7 and then 8 and 9 and 10 and 11. We're kind of going to be jumping all around as we progressively move through this passage. But the first thing that we see woven throughout this passage is that we are to heed the words of the book of Revelation. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then he, the angel, said to me, these words are faithful and true. These words, the words of the book of Revelation, they're faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show his bondservant that is John the thing which must the things which must soon take place and behold I'm coming quickly blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book The angel says to John, speaking on behalf of Jesus, I am coming back quickly. I've written these things to tell you what is yet coming. I'm coming back. Wait for that. But in the meantime, what is your responsibility? Blessed is the one who heeds these words. These words. These words are the words of the book of Revelation. Now that is a fascinating command because there are very few commands in the book of Revelation. Very few. Most of the book of Revelation is a storyline, and it's revealed in a a really interesting and at times confusing way, but it's essentially a story that is being told. So how then are we told to heed those words when there are no, there's a few, but primarily there aren't commands presented for us to obey in the book of Revelation. How do I heed the words of of stories about the Antichrist and and, and the judgment in heaven and, and the kingdom and plagues and more. How do I heed those words? Yesterday morning when I woke up and was getting ready for the day, I 
checked the weather app in my phone just to see what the weather was that day and to see if I needed to grab a rain jacket as I left. And I saw in my weather app, it was mostly sunny until later in the day, there was, there was one of those I've, I've, uh, on the weather app on the iPhone, there was just one little picture of a rainy cloud. So it looked like there was going to be a little bit of rain last night. So I calculated, I looked and, you know, weather apps are accurate about 50% of the time, right? Yeah. Weather men are accurate, accurate about 50% of the time. It's the easiest job ever. You can be wrong almost all the time and keep your job. I'm not allowed to do that. If I'm a pastor, I can't say this verse might mean this or it might mean something else. I don't know. It's a 50-50 shot. But weathermen have the easiest job on earth. So do weather apps. I decided not to trust the app. Okay? Left the day. Didn't grab my rain jacket. 5.15 p.m. I uh, looked outside my window, and my windows are really tinted, so I can't really see out of them clearly, but it was dark outside at 5.15 p.m. I was, I was like, my initial thought was, has daylight savings time already hit? It was so dark outside. <laughs> I walked outside, and I was packing up my things uh, to head home because I told Alyssa I would be home at 5.30 p.m., and there was a thunderstorm. Did any of you experience this thunderstorm yesterday? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> It, it, it was, I don't know what it was like where you were. It was torrential. It, it, was, it was a deadly rainstorm that was occurring outside of Mission Row Bible Church. I was worried that if I stepped outside, I might drown. But I told Alyssa that I'd be home at 5.30 p.m. So I reached for the door to go outside and lightning flashed right in front of me. Saw the lightning strike right in front of me, like right near the playground. And it wasn't like lightning and you wait to hear the thunder. It was the instantaneous lightning, boom! And I'm, I'm reaching for the door when this happens and I just, whoa! Like that deal. But I told Alyssa I would be home at 5.30 p.m. So... I jumped back from the door and then slowly approached it and prepared to enter into the heart of the monsoon. And I ran for it. I ran for it from this door to my car, not through drops of rain, but through sheets of rain. And I got in my car and I was drenched, drenched, like completely drenched. I've been more dry going swimming. I I could not have been more wet. And I just sat there in my car, dripping everywhere, thinking, why did I not grab my rain jacket? Why not grab, it would have taken me 10 seconds max to grab the rain jacket and put it in my car. So I'm, I'm, I'm driving home, soaking, miserable, freezing. It's like cold when you're wet and I had the AC going, which was stupid, but I did. And, and so I'm, I'm shivering my whole way home, thinking, why didn't I grab the rain jacket? I had the information. I had the information. I just didn't take it seriously. Now, the book of Revelation is much the same way. There was nothing in my weather app that said, Adam, you must wear a rain jacket today. It's going to be deadly out there. All it said was, there's a chance of rain. All it did was give me information about something that was going to take place. There weren't any commands, there weren't any specific instructions, but the information is meant to give me what I need to be prepared. And Revelation is exactly the same thing. The book of Revelation presents the information to which we are called to respond. Though it is not filled with commands, we're called to heed the words, to heed the information. We could say it this way. Heeding the words of Revelation means living in light of its truth. 
heeding the words of revelation means living in a light of its truth. It means that when I read it, I recognize it as true and I respond to it. Even though it's not telling me specifically what to do, it's giving me information to respond to. Revelation sets the tone for this from the very first page. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus is talking and he says, Behold, I am coming back. I am coming back and every eye will see me. Even those who pierced me. The tone is set from page one of the book of Revelation that the information that lies in this book is meant to be heeded. It is meant to be paid attention to and acted upon because Jesus is coming back. We are to value this book and respond to it. You're in Revelation chapter 22. Look all the way down at verse 18. We are to value every single word. Look at the gravity with which we are to handle every word of this book. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from them the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. The message of the book of Revelation is precious and it's valuable. Every word. There is gospel truth contained within this book. And we are to heed it. We are not to turn our back on God. We are not to go on lacking repentance. We are not to go on avoiding faithfulness. That is the message of the book of Revelation, and that is the message that is not to be changed. Heed the words. Live in the light of this truth. Jesus is coming back, and everyone will see him, and everyone will be accountable to him. There's a second There's a second response to the book of Revelation that's laid out in this chapter. The second response is worship God. Worship God. Look at verses 8 and 9. I, John, am the one who saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down. I fell down upon hearing these things. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he, the angel, said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. John is so overwhelmed at all that he has seen within this book that all he wants to do is worship. The vision that he is receiving of what lies before him is so glorious that his only response, his gut response at the glory of all that he has seen is I just need to fall to my face and worship something. What is true of John in this book and what's shown in his desire to worship at the glory of what he sees is true of every one of us. We're we're all made to worship. We're all made to worship. The issue is not, will you worship? We are all worshipers of something. John reveals himself here to be a worshiper, but he worships the wrong person. He bows down before the angel that has revealed all of this glory to him, and he begins to worship this angel, and the angel says, don't do that. I'm I'm a creature like you. Worship God. The issue is not, will you worship? You will worship something or someone. The question is, Will you rightly direct your worship to the only one who is truly worthy of it? 
Where are you directing your worship? One of the ways to answer that question is where do you direct your time? Where do you direct your thoughts? Where do you direct your passions? Where do you direct your skills? Where do you direct your desires? We are currently in one of my favorite weeks of the entire year. It may be my favorite week of the entire year right now. You know why? Because Ohio State kicks off at noon this Saturday. Week one of college football, baby. Here we go. Here, here we go. It's co- I know. We've all been waiting. We've all been waiting for nine months for Ohio State to kick off at noon on Saturday. I get butterflies in my stomach just thinking about it. I'm not even kidding. It's kind of weird. I, I will struggle this fall. You can hold me accountable. I will struggle this fall with not directing my worship towards college football. That's not a joke. That's the nature of worship. We are all created to worship things. It's, it's built up within us. But in our sinfulness, we direct that worship towards that which is a creature rather than the creator. And John learns that lesson right here. He learns that the result of all of the book of Revelation, though he wants to worship and bow down because of the glory of what he has seen, is to worship God. That is the application. To direct his worship to the one who causes all of these events to take place. To the one who is sovereign over all of history, past, present, and future. Worship God. The response of the book of Revelation is to fall down. It's to humble yourself. It's to worship God for his glory, for his acts, for who he is. We see a lot revealed about God in the book of Revelation. And, and some of it, frankly, is, is quite frightening. especially if you're not a child of God. We see justice and mercy. We see kindness and we see wrath. In everything, we see a holy and good God. The call at the end of the book of Revelation is to worship God for all that he is revealed as through this book. John is bowing down because of all that he has seen and experienced about the sovereign God. He has seen so many facets of God's character revealed throughout this vision. And when he sees it all together, when he sees it all come together on how God is going to act, all he can do is worship. But he has to work to direct his worship towards that which is actually deserving. The God of the universe. Worship God. Worship the one who at this point in the book has been revealed as the victorious God who has destroyed his enemies and who will reign forever. Have you been drawn to worship as we've walked through these glorious scenes? Have, have you responded to this book and these revelations the way that we're told we are supposed to respond? Living in light of Christ's return. Worshiping God for who he is and what he does. All of it in completion. 
But it's not just that, there's more. And these next two, let me wrap this up just with this statement because that kind of encompasses all that we just said. Worship God for all that he is because all that he is is revealed here and all that he does. Worship him completely. That then leads us to two more commands that we're gonna kind of deal with together because we've seen these as a unit throughout the book. The next response from the book of Revelation, number three, is persevere. Persevere. This point and the next one are so closely linked throughout all of the book of Revelation. And so we're going to look at the two of them together. Although they're dealt with separately in this passage, we've treated them as a unit thus far. So we're going to continue to the fourth point is repent. Persevere and repent. And those are similar commands that are given to completely different people. Throughout the book of Revelation, the command to believers is that they would persevere, that they would remain faithful. The call to unbelievers throughout the book of Revelation is that they would repent, that they would turn. These two commands we were shown immediately at the beginning of the book when we saw the letters that are written to the seven churches. Revelation was initially passed around to seven different churches and those churches had all different sorts of characteristics. Some of them were filled with unbelievers. Some of them were, were, were good, solid, healthy churches. To those churches that were disobedient, the message to them was you must repent. You must turn away from your sinfulness. And if you do, you will be given all of the gifts that are described in this book. To those churches that were faithful, the message was hard times are coming. Persecution is coming. Hold on. Remain faithful. Persevere. Those same notions that were indicated when this book was initiated are stated again as this book is closed. Let's remind ourselves of this truth that we've seen time and time again. The book of Revelation is written to produce repentance and faithfulness in those who hear it. You've heard that so many times now. I hope you never forget it. The book of Revelation is written to produce repentance and faithfulness in those who hear it. We see those themes again represented in the final verses of this scene. Look at verse 11. It's a, it's a, it's a curious verse. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. That is a fascinating verse and perhaps a little bit of a confusing one. An initial reading of this verse might seem to indicate that God or Jesus Christ here is, is giving permission to the readers that if they are in sin to remain in sin or if they are unjust to remain in injustice. Look at verse 11. Let the one who is wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy. What is being communicated here? I assure you that God is not giving permission to the disobedient to continue in disobedience. Rather, what is being stated in verse 11 is that you will continue as you are in you make the choice to change. You will continue as you are right now unless you make the decision, unless you deny yourself and make the choice to change. So if you are unjust, 
statement is, let him remain unjust. If you are filthy, you will remain filthy. If you are righteous, you will remain righteous. If you are holy, you will remain holy. Unless anyone in any of those categories makes the conscious decision to turn their back on what is originally stated of them. And so the invitation that is represented in verse 11 and clarified in the verses that follow after it is that this book is written that if you are filthy, you would change. You would change, that that you would repent of your sin. And if you're unjust, that you would change and repent. And if you are holy, that you would remain faithful, that you would not turn your back on that. And that if you are righteous, you would stay righteous. You will continue as you are unless you make the choice to change. The motivation to change is revealed in verses 12 and 13. Look at them. He says, behold, I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the alpha. I am the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So he says, you will continue as you are unless you make the decision to change. And I'm coming and I'm coming with rewards. I'm coming to reward men for what they have done. So in verse 14, he calls them to wash their robes. It's terminology that we've seen all the way through the book of Revelation to cleanse yourself. Clean, pure garments are seen as representative of those who are actual followers of Christ. They are the saints and they wear white clothes, proverbially, as they're represented in this book. He says, wash your garments. Repent. Remain faithful. Persevere. Hold on. The invitation carries all the way through this book. Repent, remain faithful, heed these words. Look at the end of verse 17. It's indicated again down in that verse. Let the one who is thirsty come. If you're thirsty, come. Let let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. If you desire to be changed, if you desire to drink of that water of life, if you are thirsty for that which Christ alone can offer, the invitation through this book is come. Come and embrace it. Come and repent of your sins. Come and, 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 and follow Jesus. Jesus invites you to come and drink from the waters of eternal life, but Jesus is not the only one with the invitation to come in this passage. We're going to look at the entirety of verse 17 as we see the fifth and final response to the book of Revelation. The fifth and final response is that we are to desire Jesus' return. Desire Jesus' return. Look at verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears, who hears the words of these book, this book, say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. 
And let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. So when verse 17 is seen in its entirety, we see that these are all, there are all these different invitations to come woven throughout this verse. The first invitation to come is, is not given by Jesus. It's given by who? Look at the top of verse 17. By the spirit and the bride. The spirit and the bride. That is the Holy Spirit and Jesus' bride, the church. You know what their anthem is? Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Return. Come. Let the one who hears, if you're reading this book, he says, your request and your desire is come. You know what a central response of the book of Revelation is? That you would desire Jesus' return. That you would say with the saints and with the Holy Spirit, Jesus, come back. Those who love Jesus want him to come back. The bride, the church, cries together with the Holy Spirit, come back, come, return, overthrow your enemies, establish your reign on earth. Those who love Jesus want to see him. They want to be with him. And so they desire his return. You want to be with the people that you love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I kind of love you guys. No. No, no I, I, I love my family, and I love coming home to my family. I look forward to coming home every night and, and seeing them. It would be quite deflating to walk into the home and hear, Oh, you again? That <laughs> Alyssa, Alyssa would never ever say that, uh, and I, I would would never say that because because we love each other, and you want to be with the people that you love. Those who love Jesus want to be with him. In other words, those who love Jesus long for his return. We long for the day when we will be with him. Look back in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. What is emphasized about the fact of eternity in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. As eternity is revealed, what is emphasized first and foremost is that man will again be with God. He will dwell with them. Just like Adam walked with God in the garden. God will be on earth and we will reign with him. Those who love Jesus long to be with him. Scroll scroll back to uh, Revelation chapter 22 or turn back if you're not using an iPad. Revelation chapter 22, look at verse four. An indication that will take place throughout all of eternity. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. When Jesus returns, we will forever be with him. And this is the desire of the believer. What a glorious day that will be. 
I say that recognizing that many of you may feel right now like you don't necessarily strongly desire Jesus' return. I recognize that and I understand that. What I would like to suggest to you is if you're, if you're struggling with maybe a desire for Jesus' return, what I've presented to you tonight is that those who love Jesus do desire that. But that doesn't necessarily, it might, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're not actively always desiring that, that that means that you, you don't have a relationship with Christ. What I'd like to present to you tonight is that if you don't desire Jesus' return, then you don't understand the glory of what is coming. If you don't desire Jesus' return, then I think you haven't actually wrapped your mind as much as we can within the book of Revelation about how glorious that day will be. Can I tell you, that's one of the benefits of the book of Revelation, and that's why we're supposed to walk away with this, because in Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22, we beheld a glorious scene, an unbelievable scene, where there was no more pain and no more, no more suffering, only eternal joy when we reign over the earth with God forever. It is pure joy. And pure satisfaction. Imagine the thing that you want most on this earth. The joy and satisfaction that will come on that day will make the experiences here on earth look like misery. And I know, I know that it's hard to wrap your mind around that. But that's why this message is so important and why its words must be heeded because we are so drawn to love the things of this earth. We need to recognize that it's all cursed. It's all broken. But the day is coming when that curse will be broken and paradise will be restored and we will reign forever with God. If you do not desire Jesus' return, then I would suggest to you tonight that you may not understand the glory of what is coming. And that's one of the reasons we've studied this book. Because what is coming, if you are a child of God, is glorious. One of the key messages of the book of Revelation is that if you are not a child of God, what is coming is horrifying. It's horrifying. It's not dealt with lightly throughout this book. It is a terrifying scene for the unbeliever. Oh, make no mistake, throughout this book, the gospel is made clear. The gospel is even presented. It's so, it's woven all through the book. And the invitation continually is repent, turn, come, come, drink of the waters of life. But man's heart is so hard. So hard that throughout the book we see him knowing that it is God that is causing these punishments, knowing that it is in turning to God that he would find relief from these punishments, but he would rather suffer and die than declare Jesus Christ as Lord. So if you're not a child of God, let me beg you to repent while you can because you don't know what the future holds. Not immediately. But we know what the future holds ultimately. And for those who have repented of their sin and are living in faithfulness to Jesus Christ, the future is glorious. And this is exactly where you want to be. 
So let's heed these words. Let's worship God. Let's persevere. And remain as repenters. Let's desire Jesus' return. Students, the end is determined and God wins. The book of Revelation is one massive spoiler alert. There is no debate. Jesus is coming back. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So be it, John writes. This is happening. It is unavoidable. We're going to conclude this verse with just a quick thought on verse 21. Listen to it. I know some of you have put your Bibles away prematurely. Verse 21. This is how the book is concluded. This is how the Bible is concluded. This is how God's special revelation to mankind is concluded. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The statement that this is concluded with is an awareness that we need to maintain through all of this. And we're called to all of these tasks. But the reminder is we can do none of this apart from the grace of God. We, we cannot remain faithful apart from the grace of God. We cannot repent apart from the grace of God. We cannot desire Jesus' return apart from the grace of God. But this book and the Bible itself is concluded with that invitation and reminder, God's grace be with you. And students know that God's grace is with you. It is sufficient for you. Amen. So be it. This is happening. So let's live in light of Jesus' return. Father, help us to do this. Help us to apply this book that may seemingly be difficult to apply, but you've given us the information to respond to. Help us to do that faithfully. Living in light of our Lord's return.